and I wanted to become a certified financial planner. And never once in any of the literature was there anything about being child-free or childless. It just mm. doesn't exist. So what that means in the bottom line is any financial advice you're finding out there assumes you have kids. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am really honored to have Dr. Jay Zygmunt on the podcast today. And if you don't know him, Dr. Jay has a PhD in adult learning from the University of Connecticut and is a certified financial planner and child-free wealth specialist. He is the founder of Child-Free Wealth, a life and financial planning firm specializing in helping child-free individuals. He has been featured in Fortune, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Business Insider, Woman's World, Investors, Business Daily, Financial Planning, and many other publications, including yesterday, CNBC. Um, so that is quite the mouthful. Welcome, Dr. Jay. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Anna. Yeah, it's truly an honor. It was so cool. I know we were chatting right before we hit record here, but I yesterday was scrolling through my cell phone news feed and there was the child-free article from CNBC or the financial planning. And I open it, um, not usually the type of like, the child free got me, but <laughs> um, financial planning isn't usually the type of article I'll open. And then there was your name and it was, that was pretty cool. So. Yeah. I, I, I joke that I'm talking about two uh, taboo topics at once, child free and finance. And I swear I spend more time talking to the financial part of people and going, Oh, child free exists. And then I talk to child free and go, yeah, by the way, finance exists. And it's like, <laughs> it's a weird intersection, but it was nice to see CNBC and some public you know, press going, yep, we're out there. You know, we have some different finances, but we're not that weird. You know, we, we exist and we're okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, to start, I'm curious if you're willing to share a little bit about how you yourself came to being um, child-free, if that is a term that you identify with. And um, yeah, go from there. Yeah, we, we could spend all day. We could do a whole section on the terminology, child-free, childless, but oh, who knows? Uh, my my wife and I, we call ourselves child-free. Uh, she actually had a 50-50 chance of dying if she got pregnant before we, and I found this out before we got married. So made my choice pretty simple. Um, you know, I don't know if that's technically by choice or circuit, you know, who knows? But it's not the term that matters. You know, I think it's just, you know, it's our life. It's just kind of the way it is. And we're in the weird place that we are child-free in a post-world world living in Mississippi. So that's a culture shock a little bit, let's say. Uh, but yeah. it works for us. Yeah. How has that been? <laughs> you know, I had somebody the other day ask me, you know, yep, you're a white male. So what does this row stuff have to do with you? And I'm like, it has to do with all my clients and all the privacy issues. And, all and actually our uh, governor here in Mississippi came up publicly and said, well, we're not going to uh, tap your phones or read your mail, but I'm like, but what? Like, you know, like, and, and at the same time, he's like, well, we're currently not outlawing contraception at this time. I'm like, so that means you're thinking about it. Like, seriously. Jeez. So it, it's really weird to run a, 
financial planning firm focused on child-free out of Mississippi to protect the privacy of my clients. I actually had to move my company out of being under the state of Mississippi to being under the Security Exchange Commission, which a whole lot of like legalese, it doesn't matter. But what it is, is that's because privacy issues, because people don't even think about it. But you know, when you're in a regulatory, regulated industry like finance, the investment piece, they can come look at my files. Well, the only way to protect my privacy is to move them out of the state. And wow. you know these things you don't even think about. You know, I got people that, oh, they think about moving across other states because of their reproductive rights. Well, cool. In some states, that might be illegal. Like, you know, like, but I'm going to help them. Right. So I have to make sure their privacy, like it, this privacy stuff has become huge. And it's just part of life. And it's one of those, like, my wife and I had the debate, and maybe you can help us on this debate, is <laughs> do you stay in a state like Mississippi and make up and do the fight or do you leave and go somewhere that matches your, your beliefs? We decided to stay and fight, but it's a hard choice. What do you think? I mean, I tend to side with what you decided, which is to stay and fight. I don't love Iowa for a lot of reasons. Um, politically right now, I'm not aligned with this state either. And also I think that I'm really nervous for, for November and, and to see what comes of elections. Um, because I, I think we have a chance of abortion ban here as well. Uh, very, very imminent. But yeah, but to leave, I also feel conflicted because if everyone just leaves, what happens? You know, like. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But then also, it's like at the end of the day, you you want to be happy and live live your best life, and uh, that's a tough one. Yeah. And, and the Dobbs case came out of Mississippi. So like yeah. we're like right in the center of all this. And we just moved here a little over a year ago for my wife's job. Uh, you know, we, we embrace what we call the garden of the roses. One person's growing, one person's providing support. She's in the growing spot right now. And so we moved for her career. That was in a different world. Let's be real. A year ago was a different world. And, you know, she's in public health and that makes all those challenges also there. And it's hard, but the answer is you got to put up a good fight is my way of looking at it, but you have to protect yourself and protect others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I, I, I went out to a whole bunch of compliance consultants and half of what I do is like paperwork for stupid stuff. Like I, I'm dealing with people with the paperwork I hate. And I said, <laughs> the compliance people, I said, how do I protect the privacy of my clients? And somebody said to me, well, you burn your laptop. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not actionable. Like I can't actually do that, but I get what you're saying. Like, right. You know, okay, cool. I guess my company's at risk, you know, but you got to do what you got to do. And and I think, you know, yeah, the reproductive rights are a huge issue. The privacy rights around it is a huge issue. You put them together. It's a nightmare. You know, I mean, even for those, you know, who, who, whatever, for whatever reason, you know, they don't agree. Well, even IVFs are now at risk in, you know, as a procedure in areas and, you know, I, if they're talking about contraception, I'm like, I don't even have a clue. I mean, I, I just pictured like, you know, all these like people from the state coming down and saying, hey, I want to review all your files. To fu-, you know, and I'm like, no, I need to move everything, change everything. I, the inside scoop is all my profits for this year are in compliance and paying <laughs> you know, compliance <laughs> people to just protect. But it's funny that people don't even think about those being issues. You know, they go, well, I just work on my finance. I'm just working on even your medical records aren't well protected in many cases. So it's like mm-hmm. this privacy issue is becoming big and it's part of 
everyone's life. And I think we all need to fight for it. Yeah. And if we don't, I don't know where we're going to end up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary to think about. I have, I have some of my colleagues, they're in like heavily blue states and they're like, what are you talking about? There's no issue. And I'm like, it's a different world. Like, you know, in their state, you know, like there's sanctuary states and other things and, you know, they're not going to, you know, rat them out and all. In other states, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it is almost like we're in two different worlds in the same country. Yeah. 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 Wow. So what an interesting time to have moved to Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. That's that old hindsight routine. <laughs> like, yeah. In hindsight, but my wife loves her job. I love where right. we live. We've got great land and, you know, we get to watch the deer go by and all that. It's great. But then the politics of it, you're like, yeah, you just, I like just can't go on Facebook and look at some of the threads from the state and the governor. Like, it just gets you upset. There's no other word for it. And you're like, uh, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get into child-free financial planning? Yeah. So my wife and I were living our best life. And like one of the questions I was asking was like, are, are we weird? You know, like, are we normal or weird? Now, by the way, we're both PhD, so that automatically makes us weird. You know, we have our <laughs> own, like, special weirdness. But, you know, I went out and I, I had been a coach, you know, executive coach, life coach, financial coach. And I went out to become a certified financial planner. And never once in any of the literature was there anything about being child-free or childless. It just mm. doesn't exist. So what that means in the bottom line is any financial advice you're finding out there, Assumes you have kids. They'll talk about empty nesting, you know, or the kids aren't there right now. But, you know, like a state plan, it all assumes you have kids. So I said, okay, cool. Let me take a look at this. And I'm a researcher by nature. And, you know, I set up, did a whole bunch of interviews and surveys and dove into the data. And turns out my wife and I aren't, aren't as weird as it seems, although we, you know, besides the specialness we have anyway. But there's a whole lot of child-free folks out there living their best life, but their financial advice they're getting is bad. You know, like, for example, let me ask you a question, Anna. Do you care how much money you have when you die? No. Cool. By the way, that's the answer 99 times out of 100 from child-free folks. Well, most financial planning assumes you're going to keep the money and give it away to a next generation. Mm. So if you don't care how much money you have at the end, that changes everything else before it. Right. So what happens is, you know, if you if you really start kind of looking at it, I talked to some other financial planners when I started off and their answer was, well, you know, being child-free doesn't change that much. And I'm like, okay. And then I dove into the research. I'm like, no, it changes everything. And they're like, well, you know, just little tweaks. I'm like, no, if the goal is different, everything leading up to is different. You get to live a different life. And the way I say it is child-free wealth means you get to, you have the time, money, and freedom to do what you want. Well, that's actually a little scary for most people. It's like, what <laughs> do I want to do? And right. we start fighting this standard life script of, well, I got to save up all my money for the retirement and all that. A lot of people don't want to retire. They don't want to give it away. You know, my, my nephew's going to get whatever's left over, but I don't care if they get a hundred bucks or a thousand or 10,000. It doesn't matter. And that's just a mindset that shifts everything before. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And it's so interesting, like listening to you talk and thinking about um, conversations I've had with my husband, 
I think you and I have said, like, I'm going to put my head in the sand when it comes to finances. Like, I know that I don't outspend my means as of right now. So like, (laughs) I can trust myself to be pretty okay. And, you know, check the bank statements once in a while, make sure everything's looking good. But he is the one who's more interested in investing in retirement. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, oh yeah, like he's been really stressed out about getting a, like thinking we're not putting enough into retirement. And now I'm like, is that what we should be doing? Right. So. And, and, that, and so this is the life script problem. The life script says you go to school, you get married, you have kids, you buy a house, you, you work for 20 years, you retire. Cool. There's a few other norms in there. Well, you chose not to follow the standard life script when you didn't have kids for whatever reason. And now what happens then people try to fit themselves back on that standard script and you're seeing it. You have a different mindset than he does. And here's the thing though, everything on the outside says, you got to save for retirement. You got to do this. You got to do that. Cool. That works for some people. Like I'll give you another great example of this. Um, a lot of the child-free folks I talked to and, and I, and just a little thing in terms, I use both child-free or permanently childless. So it's when you've decided you don't have kids, whether it's by choice or not, doesn't matter. That's your life. That's your story. But for people that are living a life without kids, one of the big debates is, should I buy a house? Mm. Well, here's the thing. Child-free folks are more mobile than ever. I mean, I got some nomads that are like, like debating living in Airbnbs, different place every month. Like that's wow. the extreme. And Corinne, who works for me, she actually lived in a, a sailboat and a van for a while and, you know, was a nomad. So that's the extreme. But others are like, you know, I'll work here for a couple of years or I'll do this. But there's we don't have that reason we stuck to an area. You know, it's like, oh, well, we got to be there for schools for the next 18 years or, you know. Yeah. So buying a house becomes an option, not a requirement. But everything says, well, you have to have a house to get ahead financially. Well, you can get exposure to real estate through there's REITs and a few other things. There's some tools for that without buying a house. And you can plan for rents and plan for the rents going up. And housing costs overall is a giant problem. That's a separate question. But you can choose to make your housing match your life. Well, if you're child free and you're like, I don't know where I'm going to be in three years, don't buy a house because you need to have it for like five for it to be worth it. And I think, but that goes against like every societal norm. You thought you were weird for not having kids. Try saying, I'm never going to buy a house. Your parents will look at you like you have, you know, three eyes. Right, right. In my mind, I'm going like, but wait, well, all that rent money is just like, you're just, you don't get it back. (laughs) That is is true. Bought our house. (laughs) But do you enjoy owning a house? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. See, by the way, everybody missed that big pause there. <laughs> so I actually have a, a like five questions you ask them. But like, for example, today I've got uh, workers out painting the trim on the second floor and I'm having to help them. You know, we're managing this and we got wood that's rotting and I got and I'm trying to do my job at the same time. I actually for the podcast, I had to tell them, hey, take an hour break because the hammering, you know, and it's not going to like it. But like people don't see that. That's part of owning a house. Right. You know, I actually enjoy owning a house. We own a house. We have 33 acres. We have land. We enjoy it. But if you don't, you don't have to. And go, well, I'm throwing away rent. Yeah, you're right. But here's the thing. That rent gets you flexibility. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I go to move, I've got to sell the house. I got to fix it up. I got to pay a commission. I got to all that. Yeah. So many rent 
rents a truck and is moved the next day. So there's actually a value to the renting in that case. Now, by the way, each person has their own choice on the house and the rent and all that. But really, I'm just trying to say is have it match your life, not the standard script. That's a really good point um, you make about, you know, we have to come back to what fits us. And that's such a refreshing spin to put to all of this. Um, And like you like you said, it's so interesting to think about where are we trying to fit ourselves into this life script that doesn't fit us without realizing it. And this whole financial world seems to be a big area that that's happening. And and I don't think it's intentional. Like, I don't think the financial people are like, ha ha ha, I'm going to make stuff just for parents. But I don't know, 80% of the people in the US are parents. So that's where most of it is. Mm -hmm. And we don't even question it. You know, it's just like, yep, that's what you do. Right. And, And I was like, well, the way I look at it, and when I work with people, my thing is figure out what life you want to live, then we'll figure out the finance to match it. People drive by their finances like, well, I can't retire. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm like, why? How about you change your life? Like, well, I have this you know, high house payment or rent payment. Cool. You could move to somewhere lower cost of living and be happier. And they're like, well, I could. I'm like, well, why don't you? And this is where we start having that discussion about what life do you want rather than, oh, these are the check boxes I have to do. I mean, the, what drives me nuts is the articles well, by the time you're 30, you should have X amount of money in the bank or 40. And I'm like, based on who? <laughs> you know, th- that's an average that fits nobody. It's like, a, you know, sure, this one size fits all. Fits nobody, you know, and, and but then people go, oh, I'm behind. Yes. <laughs> that's who? By what measure? I mean, are you happy in your life? Yes. Then who cares what everybody else's money looks yeah, thank you for saying that because I do read those. I do see those headlines. I won't say I always read the articles, but I see the headlines, and then I feel like, yeah, I am like, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like way behind. There's no catching up. So, well, and and I put out a recent study because I looked at child-free folks and looked at income and net worth, and here's what I found: being child-free does not make you rich. Like, there's like this assumption: you have no kids, you must have like money coming out of your ears. It's not true. Income disparities are still there. And I wonder if part of the reason why we don't have a higher net worth is because we don't really care about it as much mm-hmm. because we don't care where it goes at the end. So it's not like, yes, I need to build a whole bunch of commas in my account and make a whole lot of money. No, live your life. Right, right. Enjoy your money while you have it. There's actually a book called Die With Zero. It's about spending your money for experiences throughout your life so that literally you die with zero. Now, by the way, we got to give you a little more padding than that, but close enough, yeah. that concept, <laughs> you know, I don't want you to run out of money, but the way I look at it is if you're dying with a million dollars in the bank, you screwed up somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, speaking of end of life, I know like one of the main bingos that child-free people receive is who will take care of you when you're older. And myself working as a life coach of people who are navigating the choice or or building confidence to feel empowered in their choice. I do see this come up as a fear for people where they've mm-hmm. internalized that and they're like, well, yeah, who will take care of me when I'm older? Um, so can you speak to that? Like, wh- how should we approach that question um, and end of life planning from your perspective? Yeah, so I have a love-hate thing with this question. Um, and the hate is that when somebody says, well, who's going to take care of you when you're older? 
what that really means is they are expecting someone else to take care of them. And, and by the way, there's a whole separate discussion about how we're expected to care for our elders and, you know, because we're child free, the expectation, that's a separate one. But we'll throw away that and just go away from the expectation and say, okay, cool. We need to worry about it. Well, here's what the data says. So I looked at, uh, there's a U.S. Census report that looked at people over 55. And this data actually happened to be on childless, but works for the concept. They said, what percentage of childless people are getting any financial support from their family over 55? And the answer was 2.5%. So it's like nothing. Okay, statistically, that's that might as well be zero. Now, here's the thing. In the same group, 55 and older, they asked what percentage of parents get any support from their family? 1.5%. They actually get less support than we do. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so when you assume, hey, I'm going to have a kid and they're going to take care of me. Yeah, the numbers <laughs> don't back that up. <laughs> I point that out because the reality check is we all have to figure out our long-term care plan. But we just know we have to do it because we're child-free and we're like, it's thrown in our face and we're just kind of yeah. cool. So a couple things on it. One, first step is you got to get your paperwork right. So this is your will, living will, powers of attorney. This is that question of who's going to make the decisions for you. And now I don't know about you, but I've watched way too many of those stupid movies where, you know, people get taken advantage of and, you know, the, the whole, you know, they're elder and they put in a home and people take their money. I swear there's like 700 of those movies. <laughs> so those are all stuck in our head. So what the paperwork does says, what do you want done and who makes the decisions? Now, where this becomes a really big issue, I see it a lot with uh, single child-free women, is I don't have a spouse to, to make the decision and I don't have a next to kin. And I will tell you right now, the government and financial systems, healthcare systems, just explode if you don't have a next to kin. Like they have no way to make decisions for you. So you've got to find somebody. It could be a friend, family, or you can actually pay a professional trustee who's like a lawyer in many cases or banks to do those things for you. So you can actually pay somebody and be like, okay, I'm done with it. And they just follow the paperwork. So that's who's going to make the decisions. And then we got to get to like, how do we pay for it? Now, long-term care is Stupid expensive. Uh, right now, national average uh, for a nursing home is about $108,000 a year. Uh, it's actually cheaper in many cases to live on a cruise ship year round than what? to pay for. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, do the math. I mean, $100,000 is 300 bucks plus a day. Um, it's crazy expensive. And that's today. And that's going up by about 5% a year on inflation. So by the time you hit 80, it's going to be millions of dollars. Uh, men, on average, spend 2.2 years in long-term care, and women spend 3.7. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, the single women, again, here are going to get hit pretty hard. So my recommendation is by the time you're mid-40s-ish, you know, and by the way, if you're later than that in your normal plan, you're not behind. I'm just saying the ideal place is mid-40s. You figure out a plan. And that plan, that plan could be, hey, I'm going to pay for it out of my retirement funds, my health savings account, my medical funds, or a long-term care insurance policy. And I have some people that I'm like, look, you can afford to pay for it yourself, but they get the long-term care insurance policy because they're like, I just want to be done with it and just set it and forget. It. And that's perfectly fine. If that fear is that big, we just take care of it. Either put money aside or get insurance and just like, okay. Because what we end up doing is we figure out a plan for long-term care. We push Social Security off to 70, and we give you a little money at the end, and then you can spend everything in the middle. You know, and, and that's like, oh, I can do what? 
Because otherwise, people are just so stuck in like, oh, I got to save every penny for, well, no, maybe you can go enjoy your life. That is super helpful. I don't think I've ever heard, um, yeah, like advice on this and it's specifically geared towards our child-free or permanently childless demographic, which is really cool to hear. So thanks for and, all you do. And Anna, do you have your will in place? I do not. Of course. <laughs> By the way, that's <laughs> absolutely normal. Everyone like, I don't want to do that. Well, I got to do that. I got to pay. Like these are the type of things people, I, I do what I call, I call it life and financial planning, but they don't think about wills as part of financial planning. But if you don't have something written down, all your money is like, go to like the state, which by the way, we just talked about which states were, and I don't want them to have my money. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, these are the questions. And so when I was doing research, I found out people would rather talk about their sex life than their finances. Uh, come on. You, you agree <laughs> with that? Yeah. Uh, so, okay. We need to take some of this taboo off of finances and say, let's have this conversation and figure out how do we support each other and what do we do? And one of the, one of my favorite I've heard so far, a lot of the uh, single child free women are like, look, I'm going to start a golden girl's home. And my favorite answer, somebody was going to like buy a castle and we all have their own rooms. And I'm like, it sounds you know, far-fetched, but I'm like, that's brilliant. Like, seriously, we should have our own little communities and help each other. And I don't know. Hopefully people will actually follow through on it. Yeah. No kidding. I would I would go there. That would be my end of life plan. I'd love that. You mentioned um, you do coaching around this. What all do you do? <laughs> and how yeah. can people work with you or benefit from your expertise? Yeah. So a couple, I do a couple things. So uh, effectively, I have two products out there. I have one that's a self-directed financial learning process, which is, you know, it's got 15 courses and 100 videos of all like the common questions, like who's going to take care of me when they're older? How do I set up a will? All, the, all those common. And then also group sessions. And I do that because, frankly, everybody can't afford my one-on-one. -on -one. You know, it's just kind of how it is. My self-directed product is 50 bucks a month and actually is a 15-day free trial, so you can try it out. So not a big deal, but at least gets people started on finances because you can do most of it yourself. You know, people are like, well, I don't understand investing. Well, then learn, you know, and that's what that's there. And every part of that is child-free, child-less focused and, and works through. And then I have where I work one-on-one -on -one with people. I'm a technical term and I'm advice only fee, only fiduciary certified financial planner, which is a whole lot of ways of saying, I just do a whole bunch of stuff with money. Um, and I actually meet with people on a monthly basis. We work through it. We make one or two improvements each month and move forward. Now, the interesting thing about that, um, people kind of go look at finances and let's be real. There's some gender issues around finances. Uh, we get the finance bros and all that and mansplain. Uh, cool. So we, you know, what we try to do is make it accessible to everybody. The interesting data point that I've been tracking, every one of my clients is either a single female or a couple, and most of them, the women are actually leading the charge, um, which is kind of interesting. We joke, we have uh, somebody that's the hostage in every group where like it gets dragged in in a couple, <laughs> but we work through making improvements. And a lot of people start like you, Anna, you know, hey, my head's in the sand. I'm doing okay. Uh, the joking way we say it is you're, you're out earning your stupid. You know, we're making <laughs> stupid mistakes, but earn enough, we get away with it. And then by the end, we're like, okay, I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. And I want you to get a point where you don't even think about your finances. You're like, nah, the plan's working. It's doing its thing. I don't worry about it. But you need to actually talk about it 
And especially in couples, because like you're saying, you and your husband have a completely different approach. And why is there so much like taboo stigma? Like, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of shame connected to money, too. Like, yeah, what's that all about? So first thing is, I, I swear everybody thinks they're going to sit down with me. And so I'm a financial planner. And they go, hey, he's going to judge me. Oh, you spent too much on Starbucks. Look, the way I look at it is everybody has stupid mistakes they're making. And, you know, I probably made more than you have. You know, it's the truth that I made my first million by the time I was 21 and spent it by the time I was 25. So if you can beat my mistakes, go right ahead. You know, and, and like everybody has a bad habit. My bad habit's Amazon. Uh, right now I'm working on, so it takes a while. We're, I'm, we're pretty rural and it's not two days to come here. It takes a little bit. My thing is to make sure when I buy Amazon, I know what it is when it hits the door. Not always the case. Like if you get a box and you're like, what's in this? Obviously, it wasn't <laughs> something you need. So I think there's like this, this shame around the way you're doing it, whatever. And the truth is, most of us were not taught how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went to high school, the only thing they taught me was balance on checkbook, which yeah. is a complete waste of time. You know, we don't use that now. And then you get your examples from your parents, which most parents hide their finances or don't talk about it or fight or not great habits. And then we get a couple, we get two bad habits, you know, histories, and people don't know it. And money fights and money values are the number one cause of divorce in the United States. And it's because we're not talking about it. And, yeah. and, and so I use this, you know, comparison of sex versus money. People will share with their friends, hey, this is what, you know, I'm hooking up. This is my problem, whatever it is. But they won't go, oh, yeah, I'm in debt and I need to get out. Like, seriously, we just need to have a conversation and we need to support each other. But we need to realize none of us are great at this. Like, you know, if you were, you wouldn't have to ask for help. And, you know, <laughs> the way I look at it is the only person you should measure against is yourself. Am I making progress towards my goals? I don't even care what your goals are. You get to pick them. But am I making progress? And am I making enough progress? And if you are, who cares? But then you go online, and I, I swear it's a social media problem. You see people bought a brand new Mercedes, but you don't see the $700 a month payment that goes with it. You know, and you're like, oh, I should have a Mercedes. If that's your goal, fine. If not, you can drive that Toyota. It's fine. You know, mm-hmm. and, and this is where it becomes one of those things that we just need to like talk to each other and have a little like, empathy and just be able to say, yeah, we're all screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting to think about (laughs) when you were like, then you have two parent people coming together in a marriage with two, like their own inherent problems. Like, yeah. (laughs) And if you don't talk about them, they just grow. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, money fights. Yeah. That's probably our top fight, you know, like, or like the hardest one to resolve. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And part of the reason it might be hard to resolve is I want, I want everybody to flush the idea that there's the right way to use money. There's not. There are better ways. And there are some <laughs> dumb ways. By the way, I still make dumb mistakes. And I'm like, yeah, that was dumb, but I still did it. Like, you know, like, <laughs> It just happens. You know, little retail therapy happens for all of us, you know. <laughs> What happens when you're sad, you add to cart, you know, like it's just kind of like, but we can build better boundaries around it. We can work that through. And if you don't talk about it now, when you get older or you're caring for your parents, when they get older, oh, the battles are coming. Or if you're in a couple and like one of you gets hurt, one can't work. Like it just, 
it just blooms. And then for our single folks, part of the challenge is you don't have an accountability partner. So you need somebody to call you on your BS and go, really? Do you need another succulent? This is a fight me and my wife been having. <laughs> you know, do, do you really need another one? And, and, and I guess she does, but, you know, <laughs> it's up over time. You know, I'm like, you, you need a whole nother room for them out now. But it, that's part of managing money. There's got to be a little bit of that check and balance. Yeah. Oh, I'm still regretting some retail therapy I did this spring, but it's okay. All right. So let me give you a tip on that one. So if you're a retail therapy person, um, and for those that don't know, that is the, hey, I buy something that makes me feel better. Here's the rule. The rule is you can add it to your cart, but you can't complete the sale for 24 hours. Here's what's going to happen. When you add it to cart, you get that like retail therapy, like I bought something. And then a day later, you get to go, do I really want this or not? And in many cases, you're not. And if you do, there's a good chance that the company will send you a coupon saying you abandoned the cart. You're like, oh, you didn't finish your sale. I'll give you 20% off. You finish it. So the 24-hour rule might just be enough to help you. Then the other one you have to do, have to, have to, have to, is take your credit cards off and use prepaid debit cards. So like Amazon, one click is all designed so you don't even have a clue how much you spent. If instead you set a budget, I don't even care, 500 bucks on Amazon this month. You put it on a prepaid debit card. When it runs out, you got to wait till next month. You know, oh. it just puts a little bit of that, you know, barriers. And what happens is, let's be real, you spend a whole lot of money on stuff you don't need. Yeah. You know, who knows what the stuff is? I don't care. You know, we all have stuff we buy. If I can just slow the stuff buying down a little, I'll get there. And then the other part of it is you'd have a bigger goal. Something more than whatever that you want to buy. And the goal setting on it is a little bit harder, but at least you could do the 24 hour rule, put things on a debit card and it'll just like, just stop you just a little. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. I, I hadn't thought about the prepaid debit card. Cool. Are there any like common misconceptions that we haven't really covered when it comes to like people who are child-free and their finances? Yeah. Let me, let me actually bring out a data point from my study. So I found, I surveyed 299 people. And I asked an open question. I said, are you happy with your life? Just like, let's ask the million dollar question. You know, that's, that's the end, like the end be all question. 94% said yes. Now, by the way, if you look at the public, it's somewhere 40, 50% on average. Wow. So, and for the 6% that said no, it was interesting. Quite a few said comments. It's not because I'm child-free, but you know, I've got some medical going on or something in my life going on. Or, but 94% went just open answer. Are you happy? The answer is yes. And I think what happens is we get this like, I, I, I swear it's put on from outside. Well, you'll regret. I hate that regret word. You'll regret whatever it is. Turns out the data says not so much. 94% saying they're happy. The finances, yeah, it's part of it, but happiness is what matters. You know, I, I joke about Marie Kondoing your life and figuring out <laughs> what brings you joy. But if you're happy and it works, you're not going to debt, who cares? Yeah, right. Wow. That is really, that is really cool. That is a significant data point. It is. And, and I think people are surprised by it. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, well, what's the age of the group? And the people I started were a little younger, but even when I've talked to people in their seventies and eighties and sixties, it, it holds true. You know, mm. it's like, well, what about if I regret? Well, yeah. You know, a lot of things I choose, did a different choice in life and I don't regret them. 
you know, it is what it is. And some have been good and some have been bad. It's just life. Right. Yeah. And was that part of this research you did for the book you wrote? Yeah, it's actually part of uh, the book I did was Portraits of Child Free Wealth. It's actually got 26 stories of people's real life. I want people all different types of ages and all different types of place in life. And it's the service of the second part. And I've got another book I'm working on for that. But it's just a matter of understanding child-free folks. Because when it comes to child-free finances, like people just aren't asking the question. So let's at least ask the question and then see what happens from the data. Yeah. What is your like vision or hope for the future of financial planning and, and when it comes to child-free people? I, I created my company, Child Free Wealth, earlier this year. And my original plan was, as a financial planner, you can handle about 50 clients. That's just kind of how it works. And I said, all right, let me just see how this goes. Comfortable, nice little business. And then I found out the need out there is just ginormous. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just huge. And there's this big old empty spot. So I actually spend just as much time teaching financial people. Hey, by the way, there's these child-free people and you shouldn't like offend them. Let's start with that and then go from there. And, and I'll give you an example. Of this. So I was at a conference, financial conference. And by the way, if you think finance is boring, go to a financial conference. It's really boring. <laughs> but I'm like half listening. I was virtual. And the one of the speakers says, well, um, and he was talking about estate planning of the documents that I just talked about, the wills, all that, and who he gave money to. And he says, well, people without children are the worst. I was like, wait, what did he just say? Like, did he really just say we're the worst? And I, and I had this moment where I realized if he had said any other group was the worst, like it would have made national headlines, record scratch, like the whole conference would have came to an end. But it was okay, I guess. And I reached out to the conference after and I'm like, hey, this is not appropriate. And they're like, yeah, he probably should have worded it differently. I'm like, mm, well, I, I'm a little, you know, so when he's asked kind of what's my goal and where's the future, I swear I have to spend just as much time teaching financial people just to not be stupid. Like, you know, <laughs> never mind like how to handle child-free folks. And then uh, working with the child-free people and saying, hey, you know, this fits you. And, and for the child-free folks, if you you're going out there, you talk to a financial planner, ask them, how's your life different? You know, how's your financial plan different? Because you're child-free. And if they say, mm-hmm. well, you'll change your mind, just walk out. If they say yeah. it's not different, walk out. If they say, I don't know, that's an okay answer. Like, I'm serious. Like, if they're going to explore it with you. But then also, hey, hopefully they understand how it changes things. Um, and that's kind of that bigger mission. I'm going to have to get to financial people and help them understand it. I don't know if I'll get there because that's a pretty high hill to go up. But we're, we're trying. <laughs> Those are good tips. For the, you know, how to screen your financial advisor. <laughs> Just ask them, how is it different? And I, I it's funny, I've, I've given this to some people because I offer like a free intro meeting. People come do an intro and they'll try out two or three advisors, which I recommend. Try, find the right one for you. And then they'll ask the question. They're like, yeah, you don't want to know the answer. It's like, <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, the the judgment that comes with it is just, um, it's scary. I mean, I, I put out an article on Facebook and shared it and, for some reason, I got picked up in non-child-free groups and mm. the comments just are rough. I mean, it, it's it's hard out there, but we all need to you know, support each other, be there as a community and grow. Yeah. 
Right. Speak up about being child free and speak up about your finances. Let's (laughs) break these stigmas down. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to be sure we cover today? I think the the take home message, if anyone, if you get anything is figure out the life you want, then figure out your finances and don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, look for an advice only financial planner. You pay for their time. They can help you through it. Ask the questions, work it through. And you don't have to do this alone. You know, even if you're in a couple, you know, you don't have to do it alone. You can you can get people and be in a better place next year than where you are now. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. I know just in talking with you today and um, when we chatted a couple of weeks ago, I feel so much better after I talked to you. <laughs> and we haven't even like dug into my finances, but I'm just like, OK, I can do it. <laughs> like, I have hope. And Anna, I'll give you a tip. So here, and, and by everybody listening can do this too. When you're trying to change your finances and you're like making changes or whatever, just say, my financial planner, Dr. J said I had to. I don't care what it is. Just blame <laughs> me. Like, you know, he said I had to cut back on my Amazon. He said I had to get out of debt. He said I had to invest. He said we had, you know, just blame me. It's, you know, it works perfectly fine. Um, it's kind of funny to see. The other one that happens a lot with that is like when you have to talk to your parents about finances, like you're trying to help them be like, Dr. J said, I should talk to my parents and make sure they're in a good financial place. And they'll be like, who the heck is this dude? You're like, well, he's my financial planner. (laughs) Just blame me. You need to put that on a coffee mug and and sell it to your clients. (laughs) Just blame me. Dr. J said I had to. By the way, the truth is, I don't actually tell people what they have to do, but you know, you can blame me all you want. Like, I'm like, here's your options. I have couples like work, we'll work on budgets and they're like, would Dr. J approve of that purchase? <laughs> like I actually would. Cause it's your goals. You want to do whatever you want with your money, but like <laughs> they're blaming me. And then the, like, well, before we buy that, let's check with Dr. J. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. It works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, how can people find you? What is your website and are there social handles that you um, use that people should follow you at. Yeah, I am not good on social media. I apologize. Childfreewealth.com is my website. Um, and you can actually get a 15 day free trial for the self-directed. So you can just go try it. Um, in the end, it's only 50 bucks a month. So it's not even like it's that much expensive to do it. But I also, if you got a complex system uh, situation or you make a bunch of money, and want some help, I have one-on-ones. You can schedule an intro meeting there. It's all on childfreewealth.com. And there's also a whole bunch of articles and videos and stuff. So if you really got no money and you just want to learn, you can always just grab the resources and go from there. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your expertise today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and blame me for whatever you want. (laughs) Will do. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I certainly did. I know just from that conversation with Dr. J, I learned a lot. And if you did too, then stay tuned because Dr. J and I have teamed up. He is going to provide financial planning services to me and my husband, which we are recording and airing publicly. So the first one is going to drop on my podcast later this week. There is a video version already out on Dr. J's platform. So be sure if you want to see the video, 
go follow him. If you want to hear the episode in podcast form, stay right here. And make sure if you haven't subscribed to my podcast, you do so you'll get the alert as soon as it drops. So it's going to be an intimate inside look at a financial planning session. There will be six in total. The first one, as I said, drops later this week, and then it'll be about once a month from there on. And I just want to extend a huge thank you to Dr. J for focusing on financial planning for child-free individuals. This is such a needed service, and I am so grateful. And I hope that in sharing our sessions together that it will be helpful for anyone listening. So stay tuned, and thanks so much for tuning in today. I'll catch you next time. Hey, don't go yet. I have something really exciting to share with you. I created a community for child-free people. That's right, a place for us all to hang out, get to know each other, and become friends. So if you could use some more child-free friends in your life, please come hang out with us. It's like we have our own private social media network. Inside the club, we have weekly virtual meetups via Zoom. We have a community feed with ongoing posts and discussions so we can continue our friendship outside of our virtual meetups. And down the road, we're going to have in-person meetups and take these relationships offline and in-person. So if you want in, head to wnk-club.com. That's wnk as in we're not kidding, dash C-L-U-B dot com. I can't wait to see you in the club.